Welcome back to our conversations here at Penelope's Loom. Before we get to our conversation today, I just wanted to give a little bit of a background. It took place a few months ago, and it begins uh, right in the middle of our conversation. So Shannon and I were discussing um, her midwife piece, and so that's where the conversation begins, um, specifically talking about the role that husbands can play um, in that situation. Um, but we quickly move on to a broader discussion of community and especially education um, to wrap up our three-part conversation about community. Hope you enjoy. It's funny because, of course, it connects to things that we've talked about before, but um, that just that on the one hand, yeah, this this is definitely um, somewhere where we can make a pretty clear divide between this is this is something that has to do with women. <laughs> this is women's quote unquote work. I mean, the woman is the one doing the work to give to give birth. Um, and so I the very traditional. Um, kind of historic idea of bring the women in, have the women help the, mo the mother give birth and the men need to stay out. Um, I understand that. At the same time, um, I do think that there's a good balance and then kind of a way to figure out, well, what a man's role could be in that situation. And yeah, uh, and that, especially that's- Especially the husband. Especially, right, uh, yes. specifically the husband is yes. what I mean, yeah. Yes. And, yes. and that's where, yeah, I wouldn't say more than that, but, um, but that, that's where I, uh, I think it's interesting if the man or just men in the community know a little bit more about what's actually going on so that it's not quite such a mystery. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, it becomes easier for them to know what they can do and should do to be supportive, even if yeah. they're not directly involved, even yeah. if they're getting out of the house, that's fine. Probably a good idea. <laughs> Get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you're <laughs> directly <laughs> holding your hand. Um, yeah. but, um, but there are, I mean, there's so much that can be done. So anyway, it's, it is just one of those interesting things where, uh, especially since we've been talking about community and then the roles of men and women. And um, it's interesting how a lot of times if you just know more information, it often makes your role clearer and makes it more, just more possible for you to understand what you could do to be helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I don't know, I'm hearing what you're saying and, and thinking that like so much of this is in so many ways, actually a reflection of, definitely our culture but also the way that we educate ourselves as as Christians and then the way that the world is trying to educate our kids right now with like sex ed courses or whatever mm -hmm. um like none of which I would say almost none of which actually does a very good job of educating young men and young women about 
what the marital relationship is, ought to be, and like how children come into the world. Mm -hmm. I was, I was raised, I am Catholic, was raised Catholic, went to Catholic schools, got all of the Catholic, like very pro-life, very like anti-contraception version of all of the sex education that you can think of. And I still got to the point, I would say like, maybe it'd be hard for me to pinpoint an exact date, but sometime in the year of getting engaged and then the first few months of marriage of realizing like, oh, my body was made to do this. My body was made to conceive children. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that is the reason that these things happen every month with me. It like it's not just this happenstance thing. It's not just this thing that like you have to deal with or you take a prescription for or something like that. It's like part of who I am. Right. Um, and I think even like good Christian households have largely um, or maybe generally I should say not quite known how to educate their children on these matters because because of the craziness of our culture and so in so many circumstances um, and for like the better part of a century or two I would say took like this super puritanical um, root in the way that education was done. Like boys may or may not know anything about like what's going on with that's, <laughs> women. And, yes. um, and like, you know, that, that Victorian sense of modesty that uh, is, that was still lingering through like the 1950s, I would say in many women of like, there are things that you don't even talk about with your husband, you know, right. he shouldn't be in the same room when you're giving birth. And it's like, but how did we get to this point where she's giving birth? Let's talk about that. Right. Well, and um, I don't know if this is directly related, but I think it is. Um, to me, I, I, I immediately think about how much of the Christian education that happens is reactionary to the yes. culture. And yeah. that beginning with that puritanical, um, reaction, that puritanical philosophy of how we're going to teach this and mm-hmm. the extreme modesty and the, the purity language that we're going to use, um, which I, I think is, um, it, it's very interesting for a number of reasons. If it's reactionary, which it so often is, I mean, then you fast forward to the 60s and the 70s where now you have to be even more reactionary because the culture is so mm-hmm. pro-sex and mm-hmm. sexual revolution and everything like that. Um, and, and, um, and as opposed to the Christians being able to see themselves as a, a community, a whole entity that is in the world, but not of the world. Yeah. And therefore, because they're not of the world, they know that they're going to do things totally different and not in a reactionary way as in we're going to do whatever the opposite is but actually looking at what is the best thing to do how should we educate our men and women what should they know what should they be prepared to um to deal with and also uh 
what is good and they need to be able to recognize what is good. Mm-hmm. And I saw this too growing up where um, for in, in our community, it was a um, little bit of an issue that um, the school wanted the boys and girls to take the sex ed class together. And mm-hmm. um, my parents did not like that. And, and I look at that now and I, I can see absolutely that, that that really isn't the best thing <laughs> when they're fifth, sixth graders don't need to be in the same room. But um, it resulted, even the, even the kids who, who took that class and everything, um, they still weren't taught very much about it. And I, overall, the general message was a very worldly one of, mm-hmm. uh, you're going to do this, here's how you be careful, and that's all we're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, the, the reaction was less information. And, um, and so right. I, I have thought about, well, what would happen if we taught our young men and women what they needed to know, continued to talk to them about this regularly, and actually helped them mature and get to a point where they, they not necessarily that they are talking about it together because they're not married yet, but where they are comfortable talking about it with the opposite sex once they are married, mm-hmm. as opposed to being very nervous about that. Um, because what I saw in my experience was, um, I, I had, a, uh, myself and some of my friends, we had a little bit of a rebellious attitude then of, oh gosh, don't be a prude. And <laughs> while we were still interested in chastity, we, we were much more interested in just finding out any way we could. Yeah. Um, which I think is just very dangerous and even more so today. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, And so, uh, but then, but then also, especially, I think it, I think there are problems for both men and women, but then especially for men, they aren't taught then that this is good because of what could come from it, both your relationship with your wife and what that does for, for the two of you. Um, but then also children. And, um, and I think that that would be one way of encouraging men to, um, you know, instead of, in some ways, it's very much like a, you better not enjoy this yet, you know, to the point where of course they're going to (laughs) rebel. I've known enough guys, of course, they're going to rebel against that because it's like, hello. Um, And so you have to have some balance there so, so that it can be trained and a proper appreciation for what's been given can, can grow. Um, And I just think that it would help the marriage so, so, so much. Um, And then I was also, while you're talking, so many ideas popped in my head, but one other thing I I thought of was um, with this kind of a more thorough education, um, I would also imagine that um, men and women could potentially be much more capable of having real sincere sympathy for those people in their community who then have an issue, have a problem getting pregnant or have an issue with their sex life. Um, And because it was talked about in a different way, in a more positive way, you actually could have a lot more care and sympathy for those couples and for those people. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to like right now, I think it is very much like, oh, it's kind of awkward to talk about that. And oh, if you want to tell me that you're having trouble, I guess we can talk about that. But you, we don't, you don't have to talk about that or we don't have, you know, I don't want to ask you about it. Um, mm-hmm. And it just seems like such a. Well, no one knows how to gosh, treat it gosh. anymore. Right. Well, right. Because, because the entire culture is saying that like at the very best delaying children to the time when exactly when you want it you know, is like, or if you want it at all, or mm-hmm. maybe not having kids, you know, like mm-hmm. the culture is saying like, kids kind of suck. They're going to be a huge drain on your social life. And, you know, it's really okay if you never want to have a child in your life. Right. Whereas Christianity has always thought like, no, this is the primary function of the union of a man and woman, not the only function, not like the reason to get married necessarily but like this is this is what comes from marriage right and not having that absolutely is a loss you know like right the amount of amount of psalms right that reference the blessed nature of the man who has his quiver full or has the olive branches surrounding his table where every every olive is a child i'm totally messing up these these poetic images but um that you know in in christianity it has always been children have always been seen as a great blessing and if they're not present then that's a tragedy like that getting mixed in modernity with like "Eh, you know kids have them when have them when you want like take some time for yourself like and so often reminds me of conversations that um i would hear as a child about getting a dog of like well you know you know if you're gonna do that like this is what you lose and this is what you have to be prepared to do and are you really sure you want to pick up their poop every day and um, that's so true that is really what i i think of when i well, we're waiting till such and such a time and we just want to make sure it's right and everything's set up. And it's like, I understand being wise. I understand that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but I, but you're, there's there's a difference between being wise and being selfish. I was going to say that, but I was going to try to be a little more understanding. Um, (laughs) I, I don't, it is so, I guess, objectively speaking, it's selfish, except that when you haven't been taught anything different, I yeah. wouldn't necessarily say that it's selfish as much as it is simply taught behavior. Like yeah. this to, to them, that is seen as a wise decision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we don't have everything set up properly in our life and we're not ready yet um, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, whatever the reason is. Um, yeah. And they've been taught that, that they better be careful and they better make sure they make a good decision about that. And it is very much to me, that's what reminds me of the dog conversation um, where that's not, you know, you wouldn't call that a selfish decision. Well, I'm not going to get a dog because I don't want to have to train them and pick up their poop every day. Well, that's just smart. You know, I'm obviously not ready to have a dog. I'm not being selfish. I'm just being smart. And I I do think that it's seen in the same exact light of we're not, being selfish and putting our, our own comfort first. We're just being, we're not ready for a kid. We're, we're, yeah. Um, yeah. Ugh, which is just, uh, it's a disorientation of the priority, right? Mm-hmm. 
of what priorities ought to be. And so, I mean, that just comes back to an understanding of the definition of marriage, right? Which has been utterly lost, right? Um, even, I'd say even amongst most Christians in this country. Absolutely. You know, you, like they you don't see The it. culture, it, there's no way that the culture isn't going to affect everyone that's living yeah. in it. And yeah. so I think that is, we, oh man, Christians are affected by this too. Well, of course they are. They're living in this culture. They're going, they have to be affected by it, which is why we have to be protective of what our culture says. Um, yeah. It's, it's actually very uh, um, naive to think that somehow Christians can just live in a bubble and not be affected. Um, but the other interesting thing is that um, when you look at having children in this way, in this light that we were just talking about of waiting until the right time, making sure all of your ducks are in a row, um, something that people don't realize is that then when you have a woman um, who miscarries, and we, we experienced this last year, um, yes, there's some degree of mourning among those who are closest to you, but I think that it, now that I've thought about it a lot, I think it makes sense that overall the general response was you'll have, you'll have another one. Mm -hmm. it, it'll be okay. These things happen. You know, up to 50% of women lose their first baby, their first pregnancy. Um, and it's all very matter of fact. Mm -hmm. And to me, it is almost like saying, well, you really wanted that dog, but that didn't work out. It's okay. There'll be another one. Um, as opposed mm -hmm. to being able to simply, very simply just say, you lost your child. That's a yeah. tragedy. And we mourn with you. Yeah. That unique person who isn't going to come. Who along. isn't going to be, right, replaced yeah. by anyone else. Doesn't matter how many children you end up having. Yeah. Um, and that it's really okay for that to be the end of the discussion. And I, I think that goes back to our inability to properly comfort sorrow because we feel like it, we have to fix something as opposed yes. to just saying we experience tragedy and death and sorrow in this life. And that, that is what we have. That is our plight as sinners. We mourn the loss and that's our comfort is the mourning actually. Yeah. Um, mm. Anyway, I, these, they, to me, it just seems like it's all very connected. So, I mean, it is it, like we started. Where did we start? We started with pregnancy stuff. Went into sex education. Got sidetracked on um, the proper education of youth, and went on to the definition of marriage very quickly there. And or seems like it was quickly. Maybe it wasn't actually quickly. <laughs> um, and it's and and all the time we keep coming back to this touch point of like, okay. Are we interacting, reacting, or seeing ourselves as other than the culture? Mm -hmm. You know, like, and so much of what we do and who we are is informed by things outside of us that we want to have as much of a say in as possible, um, but may or may not be successful at that. Um, and, and so much of this does come back to an incredibly strange cultural situation that we find ourselves in. Not, and I, I know that every time is plagued with 
its difficulties and its hardships every time is plagued literally plagued with, <laughs> with sin and the hardships thereof um but at the same time i would also say that in in eras past with the exception of like empires falling or countries being taken over um for the most part there's still been structural integrity to the culture that a person a family lives within that they're able to take some refuge in right and right now like we don't have a culture like it's we have nothing that actually resembles what culture actually has been especially as americans right. um like no common loves of religion language food like Something those, that's good. those traditions yeah right well and even even the good stuff like it's not shared across the board almost by anyone we don't have the common fabric that we have been able to rely upon in the west in times of distress in the past to help just hold things together even if times are rough like it's all crumbling right now and we're we either will have to make all things new um or figure out what we're recovering and when and how quickly so uh we this has worked really well because we've been talking so much about community lately and um with what you just said uh we kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the practical side of yeah of true community how to make that work and then also kind of to tie things together and tie things up <laughs> um you know what the place of community is and what it sounded like you were just saying is um true community built on the church and family uh is what fundamentally provides the structure to human life uh, mm -hmm. and gives us proper bounds within to, to work within um is that am i thinking through that properly is that kind of the way to define true community or to think of community and its purpose i think so i mean again like going back to what i was just saying about culture i think that i think one of the things we've lost sight of that especially with the events of this summer i certainly feel have been brought into sharp relief um is in order to have anything actually in common with others in community with others like there has to be something shared like whether that's again the same religion the same language same love for food like this this kind of food or just like when when you think of that word culture like all of the things that that fall into that if you don't have any of those things in common which even even the language bit like i 
you know, part of our, part of our work every summer is both like interacting with these really relatively young staff members who are mostly college students. And then of course, like the scouts are youth, you know, they're kids and especially the college students though, maybe it's just because I end up spending more time with them. I don't know if I speak the same language as them anymore, you know, mm. like legitimately. Right. I like they are Americans. They speak something resembling English. <laughs> like they they don't there is not a common understanding of language at all right. between um between myself and them. Uh there is so little in common in terms of Oh, where people fall on the religious spectrum at this point. Um, there's so little in common just in terms of like what it means to have like a family tradition. And, and it's because, as you were saying, like those staples that have been part, certainly part of the American tradition, um, but also the Western tradition as a whole of church family are completely absent like those those two pillars of any given community are gone way gone and anything that has like come out of those things that have in the past kind of helped to just be more glue to keep things together things like schools things like recreational sports or um, you know, like thinking of all the civic societies, right, that like, probably not our parents, but like the generation before them were really into, you know, like the eagles or the moose or right, right. Know, lodge kind of, and some of, some of that's kind of weird stuff, but it's like, whatever, that can, that can die, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but or like the American Legion, that's a great example. Sure. You know, like all these. I have an idea of a brotherhood. Yeah, and and very service oriented, being mm-hmm. very like we're going to help the community. All those things are way dying, right? And have been dying for like thirty years at this point, right? But then other things like recreational sports or education, like because they can't rely on the church and the family to actually be the solid foundation that's necessary, and and are trying to usurp those roles. It's like, it's just all going out the window. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, um, ah, oh, I, this is a great time to, uh, bring up education because, uh, we talk so much, you and you and I do about classical education. Um, yeah. and, um, whenever I talk about classical education, um, with people who are kind of outside of that, um, but they're interested. You know, yeah. great conversations with people who are interested and they want to know what classical education is um, as opposed to other education. And this, mm-hmm. this context is a great way to, to explain it. Um, because when you talk about these young people who you interact with each summer and how you don't quite speak the same language yeah. um, and then all of these things that we're, that we're losing that end up creating um kind of a disconnect from generation to generation and from group of people to group of people. That is the purpose of classical education. It is to take the child and initiate them 
give them birth into a society that already exists. Yes. And um, I, the reason we do that is for continuity so that there is a common language. When we, that's the other thing with educate with classical education, we talk so much about um, language is a fundamental part of classical education, Latin and Greek, the, um, uh, the classical languages and people ask, that's another big question that people ask, why do they need to learn Latin? They don't need mm -hmm. to do that. Why, why is that so important? And, um, and it goes along uh, fundamentally, ultimately it goes along with the idea of this is an initiation. And when you have such a vast amount of your culture, so many thousands really of years where Latin was the primary language, uh, if you're going to be initiated into this ages old society, you need to know that language. Mm -hmm. And so even though we've almost lost everything, I mean, we're at that point of extinction, there's this small remnant and we're trying to recover that initiation and, and re kind of give a rebirth um, into, into that, that old society so that there is a common ground. And if you look at education as having that purpose for a community, as opposed to the most uh, utilitarian purpose, which is how most people today see education of, mm -hmm. okay, it's simply going to equip my child to be able to go out and get a, get a job and, and basically be able to survive in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you can see where you're going to have a vast difference because if, if education is nothing but equipping your child, it doesn't mean that this initi initiation won't happen. But the question is, what will your child be initiated into? Mm. Will they be in, initiated into their own little club amongst their peers where they develop their own language and every five years you've got <laughs> different uh, understanding of what words mean? Um, or, you know, take, take it anywhere you want, not just in language, but in religion, you know, everything, sex, big one. Um, in the last 50 years, obviously, yeah. um, gender, you know, the definition of marriage, the definition of man and woman. Um, as soon as you strip education of its primary purpose of initiation of, of carrying on continuity amongst generations, you've lost the main institution that was supposed to, <laughs> to maintain those definitions. Um, and now, of course, of course, you not, now you have, everybody's making their own definition. Yeah. You open that up. I actually, um, <laughs> like since the beginning of July or June, started a piece for the blog. Um, I can't remember exactly what I titled it, but the main idea was like the primary purpose of classical education being an introduction to one's heritage. And, um, part of the reason I started thinking that or thinking through that was I was just recalling these a series of conversations that I had with some fellow teachers um, while I was still teaching um, down in Jackson and like my proposal was essentially for like different areas of like the children's own heritage to be the main thing that was studied, you know, Western heritage 
English speaking heritage, American heritage. Like those are kind of the main three things. Just like let's study the Western tradition. Then get like if we're gonna spend more time on anything in Europe than others, let's spend it on British history because like we have more in common with them mm -hmm. than anyone else. And then let's move on to the American tradition because like this is what these this is this is supposed to be the world and the culture that that these students inherit. And there was so much resistance to this idea mm -hmm. because like so many like at, at a classical school mm -hmm. mind you <laughs> yeah. um, because like focusing on the west or america or anything like that is just seen as bigoted and racist and like not giving honor to other traditions and blah 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 it to to which I say, like, how do you come to know another tradition before you're, you know your own? Yes. And how do you know what a tradition or a heritage even is before you know your own? Like, if you have no framework within which you are able to place yourself, then how are you going to have any context for the world around you? Um, and it, so I just, I, I can't remember why that, those series of conversations were brought up in my mind this summer, but they were. Um, and <laughs> I, I uh, have to give this plug because if, if people haven't read this book, they really should, Classical Education, Movement Sweeping America, Gene Edward Beeth and Andrew Kern wrote this book. Um, yeah. But he, I think Kern probably wrote this part, but I could be wrong. I have no idea. So the two of them wrote it together. Um, so they explain that multi they talk about multiculturalism and how this just this is the rallying cry, the the philosophy that modern education has latched onto. And he says it projects the nobility onto other cultures in order to denigrate the Western heritage. And at the same time, it is obsessed by the suspicion that behind every good intention in our society lies a disguised desire to oppress. Mm. And, yeah, and <laughs> yeah, doesn't that sound very familiar? Um, yeah. But he, uh, he, he, or they, they make this point that if you don't know your own culture first, exactly what you just said how are you going to recognize someone else's culture mm -hmm. and how are you going to be able to interact honestly with them when mm -hmm. you are pretending that that basically that you can learn their culture and accept their culture when you weren't even able to accept your own yeah and yeah that part exactly it's just like wait what's wrong with having your own culture right what does that mean if that if studying your own culture is somehow bad and wrong okay so having a culture that you call your own as a western american is bad but we're supposed to be so mindful and um respectful towards all these other cultures that are so very different than than what we've brought up with or been brought up with like how, that just doesn't it, it's very yeah. similar to to saying i hate my own body 
but I respect your body. Yes. Or, or love your body, right? Like how, right. Well, how? I love your body. I hate my body. Yes. Well, that doesn't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's actually a very good analogy. Um, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I veered so far from, no, from it's that you asked me like 10 or 15 minutes ago, but, um, no, I yeah. think it's connected. The education, again, per, the purpose of education as an introduction um, to one's heritage, I think is just so, um, so laden with meaning that we have almost entirely lost, you know? Yes. Um, and well, we, and uh, we don't believe that all children should be given this. Yeah. Um, now there is a big difference. You do get to a point where you can say that there are some children who are going to be um, uniquely gifted and able to go further than other children. And that happens down the road, high school, college age, and that's fine. Um, that, that turns into a question of vocation within the community and, and what each individual is, is made, is created to, to do and how they're created to serve. Um, but there has to be some sort of foundation that is given to all in, within the society. And um, the reason that um, I started with a begin here post back in the, in the spring was because I think that that foundation, along with scripture, um, the foundation really goes back to fables, uh, folk stories, fairy tales. Um, this, is, this is the heart of of our culture and our community and that this is how you pass it on so that all children, even the children who maybe are much more interested in going out and build, building forts and not so interested in ser sitting and doing serious scholarly work when they're older. Um, <laughs> you know, you have kids who are like that. They, you know they're going to grow up and work with their hands and that's wonderful. Um, mm -hmm. But pretty much all children, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say all children will enjoy stories. <laughs> um, yeah and all humans all humans <laughs> right yes yeah exactly um so that's why i i start there but isn't it interesting that we tie all these things <laughs> together yes but also one of the the great things about our conversations i would say because it is all interconnected um you really can't separate and isolate one of these things from all of the others um, it's just not possible. But. Well, that, I, that's kind of a great spot. Yeah. To stop. Um, I don't know how practical we got, but no, I think the education to me, the question of education is the practical question of how do you have true community? How do you sustain true community? How do you pass it on? how do you maintain its life? And I think it all has to do with what kind of education you provide. Yeah. And I think so much of that, um, how, to, how to put this, I think there was a friend I was talking to earlier this morning who um, she and I got into questions on 
education just a little bit. And at one point she just asked me point blank, like, so are you and Andrew gonna homeschool your kids? I was like, well, in our if our current circumstances are exactly the same when Elise starts school, then yes, definitely. Or not even start school, probably gets to a certain age in elementary. And so we were talking about why and all that. And one of the things that bugs me the most about um, not just public education, like this, I think this goes for a lot of private schools and um, I'd say especially those that tend to consider themselves as like elite, is this idea that parents don't know how to educate their children um, and that like education exclusively belongs in a school. Like that word is the property of the school. It's a you know? formal thing, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. As opposed to a natural exactly. thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I think, um, especially as Christian households, like the thing, the, one of the first things that, that parents need to reclaim is like, no, I am the primary educator of my child. Um, and that means in all things, you know, like there's some really obvious stuff like the faith <laughs> um, that that parents should be the primary educators in. But it literally in everything that that the child is learning, you know, like that their parents are are the first ones that they should look to. And that, right. that doesn't mean being an expert. Right. right. That that means that means just like being a good human right and in informing yourself kind of like we were talking about earlier and, and, and acknowledging when you don't know something and right right yeah that's that's what I was gonna say being able to be humble enough to say I don't know that but but also recognizing what you do know and passing on beginning simply with what you do know um because as a as a Christian parent you you know so much I mean I think a lot of parents don't give themselves credit and they just you know, break out and say, I don't know anything, send him to school. And, and yeah, and they've been, they've been told by teacher after teacher, principal, superintendent, entire education system, that you need to have this formalized training in order right. to truly educate the youth. And it's like, nope. no, that's, that's a <laughs> <You lot> don't. <laughs> yes. If, if that was the case, then who knows what the actual parameters around having a child should be like what sort of certification you should have to even have a kid um because the reality is that like they are going to grow up loving it res hopefully respecting and imitating the the adults that they see most in their life yeah absolutely parents or it should be um just you know, look at how they learn how to speak they're listening to you and imitating you yeah, that's exactly understand right. that they aren't going to do that just with speech. They're going to do that with everything. Yeah. So if you don't feel qualified to teach them, well, you are qualified because you're their parent. So yes. you're already teaching them. Um, and, yeah. and if you if you're worried about, I don't know what you're teaching them or that you don't know enough or something, start with scripture every day and get some really good fairy tales. Yes. And if you oh. just start there. Right. Yeah, no, that's, exactly <laughs> that's <right>. enough. <laughs> that's exactly right. And yeah. the best part is that for so many people, that's going to mean educating themselves as well. Mm. 
and that's that's like a beautiful and liberating thing mm-hmm. to be that's, sure right? um, but I think that that we just have to be super mindful of the fact that like education is not like that does not belong to school that belongs to parents first <laughs> well this was this was really great um so you're going to give birth any day now um yes. by the time i get this up and hopefully yeah we'll get some some new stuff up soon too so that's exciting All right. Thank you so much again for joining us and listening into our conversations here at Penelope's Loom. Remember, you can reach out to us on Instagram or Facebook uh, and head on over to the website to check out um, some of our new material at penelopesloom.org. You can find our email contact information there, um, and we would love for you to comment on the posts there uh, so we can join in community with you. And until we meet again, take care. Thank you for listening.